0: Welcome to the Fourth Wall. I'm Jack Yanover. I'm Solomon Patarevsky. And today, in place of Michael Howie, we have guest Nicholas Thabit.
1: If you want, you want to introduce yourself to our audience. Sure. Yeah. Um. So normally I go by Nick, but you know, thank you for that introduction. Uh, We're very professional. I mean, yeah, here On the Fourth Wall. Yeah. Of course. Uh, I'm glad to be a part of something that's, you know, obviously very prestigious. So uh, I'm excited to be on here. Thank you for having me. What do you
2: think of the studio?
1: I think the studio is kicking it. It's awesome. <laughs> it is pretty awesome. Yeah. Thank you to New Trier High School for funding yeah. the arts. It's amazing. And
0: uh, building this
2: awesome studio. I'm pretty sure they were going for kicking it when they assembled it too. So. That was yeah.
0: yeah, that was actually in the construction yeah. plan in terms of adjectives they wanted to, you know, emotions they wanted to evoke when you walked into the studio.
2: Isn't that WNTH's tagline, just kicking <laughs> it?
0: Honestly, this this is one of the nicest rooms I feel like at New Trier. And you know what else I thought about uh, a little bit more on the grim side? in the scenario of a lockdown, this is probably the best place to be. I was literally just thinking that. Exactly. It's like a bunker. I feel like we could survive a nuclear war.
2: Uh, Nick, I know you're a large, you're very invested in the music program here. How would you say that, like, the equipment we have here and just the makeup of the studio compares to some of the music rooms?
1: Um, I think this is about equal to some of the music, like, the music uh, wing in itself is just, like, outstanding. It's beyond compared to like any of the other things I've seen in the new building just like all those practice rooms and stuff are just like really nice there's like a piano in every room that's kind of outrageous like yeah this is just like at that same level we've like everything we need
2: as a music student i'm sure going to a school like new trier which puts such a emphasis on the arts and like obviously we get this but being able to like have a piano in every room it must be amazing yeah it's
1: really nice it like it basically allows me to practice every day because normally, you know, you, you kind of need a piano if you're trying to like feel out some chords if you're, you know, trying to improvise. But you don't always have that. But it's super nice that we have that opportunity here. We should we should have an episode with a concert here. Yeah, yeah be, I mean, we got drums. We we should do it. Yeah, yeah. All I right. was
2: thinking maybe like Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown theme <laughs>
0: song on the keys. Maybe. You never know. It could it could go great. We have a lot of headlines to discuss before we get into our movie reviews. So stay tuned. For Solomon and I are going to be reviewing The Irishman by Martin Scorsese. We talked about it on the last episode, one of the most anticipated films of the year. We both saw it. We've got a lot to talk about there, so stay tuned for that. But right now we're going to talk about some of the big headlines in Hollywood. And why don't we start out with this one. This was just an odd headline I stumbled upon. J.J. Abrams, director of Star Wars The Force Awakens and the upcoming Star Wars Episode IX, Rise of Skywalker consulted with George Lucas about midichlorians, which is some weird concept that George Lucas introduced in the prequels, while writing Episode Nine. So, with my limited knowledge of, like, the Star Wars expanded universe... And the Star
2: Wars expanded biology.
0: Yeah, and the Star Wars science. Mm -hmm. I'm already bad at biology, but midichlorians, (laughs) very challenging subject, did not do well on that test. Uh, One of the big complaints about Rey Skywalker and her arc is that if she is supposedly not, or sorry, I said Ray Skywalker, Ray, whatever her last name is, yeah. probably Skywalker. Her, yeah. But no, because so Episode Eight, Ryan Johnson. Now, granted, that wasn't J.J. Abrams' vision. Ryan Johnson revealed that Ray has normal parents, just random people. Well, I mean, and the, I
2: dis, I think Kylo Ren told that to Ray for sure. Like obviously, we saw that happen. Does that mean that Rey is not a Skywalker or has un- ordinary parents in general? I don't think so. Well, let's just let's just that's operate. Continue, we're,
0: op- yeah. uh, we're operating under the assumption that that's true. And so a big complaint from the fans were that this concept of midi which is basically like a count in your bloodstream of how much force power you have, uh, okay, w- would would <laughs> would contradict her ha- not having real like famous Jedi parents or whatever because then her parents would have to be super powerful for her to be that powerful. So that was, like, a big complaint. Now, obviously, no one really cares because it's Star Wars. Like, there's, like, nine movies. Yeah. You know, are you really fact-checking the science of Star Wars? But J.J. J. Abrams went and talked to George Lucas about it. He's, like, consulting on these well, old plot points. You
2: know, I heard that J.J. Abrams had been consulting Lucas just about, like, the thematic nature of the Force and a lot of various aspects on the Force in general. I think the midi midichlorines, like... Obviously, yeah, it's a weird part. I think probably Midichlorian's existence is a greater cause for anger than like a discrepancy between Rey and her parents.
0: I mean, I don't know. So, are we going to see? See what the actual interesting part of this? I mean, who cares about Midichlorians? Is that the concept that J.J. J. Abrams had a different vision than Ryan Johnson and is now sandwiching this trilogy? Like, we got The Force Awakens by J.J. J. Abrams, and then Ryan Johnson came in with episode eight, which kind of felt incongruent. With the first installment in the trilogy, and then J.J. Abrams is just going to come in and finish it. It's like playing Mad Libs with Star Wars. <laughs> it's just a very weird experiment. I right, Did you did you see the Star Wars movies, Nick?
1: Uh, I've seen most of them. I've seen up to episode eight, but yeah. Oh well, that's yeah. as far as we go. Yeah. So. Okay. Your thoughts on seven and eight as they compare to the originals? <sighs> I mean, I know like a lot of people give them a bad rap, just. There's kind of mixed reviews overall, but I feel like what I've seen mostly is just, like, a bad rap, just, like, they stretched too far away from the originals. And I kind of agree with that in a sense, like, like I don't know, some of the, like, character arcs just feel different than the originals, and I don't I don't know if, like, that connection, I feel like that connection could be more tight. Um, But, yeah. I, yeah, that's
0: been a, yeah. a common complaint that they don't feel like Star Wars movies. Yeah, they yeah.
1: feel a little different,
2: like, not so close to home,
1: you know? Absolutely.
2: What is your relationship with the Star Wars movies? Like, what is your level of fandom? Are you just, like, maybe a neutral who's seen them? Due yeah. Do you like, cultural relevance, or are you more of I'm,
1: a... I'm the type of person who's, like, seen them because, you know, they're the Star Wars movies. You got to see them. I'm not the type of person who's, like... I, I didn't watch them and say, oh, I love this. I'm going to become a huge fan. What's your relationship
2: with movies in general?
1: With movies in general, it's kind of, like, I don't follow directors or sagas and everything like super closely but when I see a good movie then I like become invested in it for like maybe a week's time just kind of like dive into it and like try to learn more about
2: it what are you looking for in a movie and what do you think is a movie that like you really resonated with
1: what I'm looking for in a movie is mostly so like the reason I say this is partly as a musician like a lot of that comes as like gaining a lot of it is, like, emotional, so what I'm looking for in a movie is just, like, a lot of emotion, but that can mean a lot of things. It doesn't just mm-hmm. have to mean, like, sad or, like, happy. It can just mean, like, a lot of different emotions that synchronize well together.
2: I often describe, like, a movie, like movies as, like, absolute value emotion on a scale, so, like, obviously emotions are completely nuanced and there's a huge range of them. Mm-hmm. But if you can like take the absolute value of an emotion you feel and like do that across various films, it's easier to compare based on do you would you So is that how you rank them in a sense? I mean I I more use it to compare. I that's obviously not my end all You B- just mean oh. like an
0: emotional response you're getting from a movie. Yeah.
2: So like there's some movies where I feel like like melancholy which isn't a very, like, maybe powerful emotion, but I feel it so much more than, like, happy is an extremely, like, dominant emotion. Mm-hmm.
0: And a simple emotion.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, there's some movies that give me, like, a, a very weird mix of emotions. I, I mean, I like, I kind of, I agree with your, at least personally, I like, I seek out movies that give me a, an emotional response um that's one of the great things about film as a medium is the amount of the amount of emotion you can convey with the film because it's a mix of music and visuals Mm -hmm. and then you have the literature side of you know what's actually being said on screen what's actually happening it's such a nice fusion of writing visual and audio that i think it maximizes the potential for uh, you know, evoking emotion and communicating ideas.
2: The emotion aspect is 100% what got me into film, but, and I'm sure you had a similar relationship with music. Mm-hmm. As I kind of um, became more infatuated with film, started seeing more of them, um, other aspects of it became more important to me and became more vital to my movie experience. Would you liken that to how you kind of think of music now versus when you started?
1: In music and film, or music in general, music in general. Um, so, like,
2: as as you've kind of like developed into a better musician and a more professional musician, is the is the quality of the music in comparison with the emotion more important, or do you still think that emotion just is yeah. far more overreaching?
1: Yeah. So the the music to me. Like has to be there. It can't just be Some like simple melody To Like When you hear music In a movie it It's always to Like Show what emotion Is being played Or being like Described in that moment And I think A lot of the times uh, In a lot of movies The music can, can just be very simple And you're like Oh okay There's like Obviously they want this To be a happy moment So they play like Joy to the world Or something like that But like w- When I hear Music that's obviously very well written, very well composed in, like, cahoots with a scene that's also that same emotion. When the emotion of the music and the scene match, that's what, like, makes it spark for me. Like, that's the, what I'm looking for.
0: Mm. That that was a big thing. I remember when I watched There Will Be Blood for the first time, that the big thing that I noticed was how well the music worked with the movie. And it was composed by Johnny Greenwood of Radiohead. And they did a really unorthodox score with... Instruments that you would never hear. I mean, usually it's just like strings right. and trumpets and the piano. And, and But this was like weird drums and just all these weird noises that they brought together that fit the movie so well. And it just elevated. I mean, it took it to a whole new level for me. So, yeah, mu- I mean, music plays a very important part in film. It's, it's, it can really be the difference between a good and a great movie. And it can
1: totally
2: make a scene. I think it could be the difference between a bad and a great movie.
1: Yeah. There could be a good movie, but just have terrible music, and then it just like kills the vibe completely. And there's sometimes uh, the absence of music is also interesting. Yeah. If it, yeah.
0: I, continue. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just like any rule in film, like, you know, something that enhances something, you take it away, and the, the absence of that uh, communicates. Um,
2: did you guys hear about, um, um, did you guys hear about the Wave soundtrack? I know we talked about this. I'm more. I have not. It's so, a movie uh, that's coming out that's going to. The trailer featured Godspeed by Frank Ocean. Okay. And so obviously I'm, as a Frank Ocean fan, like that immediately grabbed my attention. And then Jack pointed out to me today, uh, and I knew that he wanted to do a Kanye West biopic beforehand, but that the Wave soundtrack would also include. Kanye West, Tyler Creator, Kid Cudi, Kendrick Lamar, and Radiohead.
0: Well, my first question was, how much money does A twenty four have to spend on music? Uh, my second question was, like, how do you mix all of these sounds? I mean, it sounds mm-hmm. like the movie from the reviews, like preliminary reviews. is like an emotional roller coaster, maybe a bit of a mess, but just going up and down. Which you know is community. I mean, that's a really that's a pretty ambitious soundtrack for a movie.
2: Yeah, to me it sounded extremely distracting. Like yeah. if I have like there's
1: way too many like different players in there.
2: And so many songs that would be so recognizable yeah. and all like I, I don't want for every five minutes whenever they want to put music in, I'm like, oh, there's a Kid Cudi song. Yeah. Like, oh, that's sick. And then five minutes later I'm like, there's runaway. It, yeah. <laughs> but honestly,
0: like if you know the song when you're watching a movie, it can be kind of distracting. Uh, that's a hundred percent. And especially
2: yeah. if it's Every single song, and it's every five minutes. I like the weird
0: songs that Quentin Tarantino will whip out on his movies. And I'm like, I have no idea how you found this song, but it's just like some random guitar
2: riff. Oh, they're all, they're so always, well. I always feel like there's songs that I've heard before somehow. And just like, I mean, some of it is famous, but like Pulp
0: Fiction, there's just like random stuff that comes on there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And you're like, where, where did you get this from? Uh, well, we, we talked about how movies can be great, and they're filled with soul. Creative spirit and energy So let's talk about the company that's sapping that all away (laughs) With Disney Plus Has now been released to the public Disney's new streaming service Kicking off the streaming wars Which are quite interesting
2: And I think we will soon be participating With the creation of the Fourth Wall Plus A new streaming service Yeah,
0: so the only thing that's going to be available On the Fourth Wall Plus (laughs) is the Fourth Wall And a new Star Wars original show which is vital to the story of Star Wars. It takes place in between movies seven and 10. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Uh, it involves a bunch of characters we created out of nowhere, weird CGI aliens, and a chlorine. And I want you to pay
2: seven, $7 a month. Just to watch that show. I'd buy it. Actually, the price just got <laughs> driven up. It's now twelve ninety nine. We
0: will also throw in National Geographic so you can watch <laughs> a nature documentary with Morgan Freeman while you're at it. You know
2: what? It looks like we just got bought from Disney anyways.
0: Oh, so. yeah. I mean, they, Bob Iger called me up, and he was like, you guys are becoming way too bad. First of all, I've mm-hmm. been his biggest critic, and so he's trying to silence me. Bob is. Uh, he's worried about me because I've been calling him out on all the stuff he's been pulling. Uh <laughs> In the words of Jack, Clown of the Year. Bob Iger, Clown of the Year. I would like to read a quote from Mr. Iger. Uh, Here we go. So, as we talked about in the last episode, Martin Scorsese, Marvel, clashing a bit. And yes, you might have not known this, but somehow Disney owns Marvel. Don't ask me how that happened. Yes, it is a monopoly. Uh, No, it is not fair that they own Marvel and Star Wars and all of Disney and Pixar. Uh, Here's what he said. Quote, are you telling me that Ryan Coogler making Black Panther is doing something that somehow or another is less than anything Martin Scorsese or Francis Ford Coppola have ever done on any of their movies? Question mark. Come on. Yes, I think most people would say that Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola did something different on their movies than Ryan Coogler did on Black Panther. Is which he just- was a fine movie. It's not an indictment of Ryan Kugler, who is a good up and coming direct. What, how could he possibly say that? I just don't understand. And he brought up he brought that up as like it's not like someone even said that in the first place, which mm-hmm. is just an implied statement. And he went out and attacked it. It's just a ridiculous claim.
2: It's a ridiculous claim. I think clown of the Year is probably deserving. <laughs>
0: it 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 it's really it's just indicative of such a lack of awareness by Disney that they actually think that the these Marvel corporate movies are being made in the same way as Apocalypse Now or Taxi Driver it's just ridiculous but anyway, Disney Plus is a big deal. A lot of people are buying it. Honestly, I kind of want to watch The Mandalorian. Yeah. <laughs> so man, I considered yeah. buying it, which makes Just me so upset. That. Yeah, because, like, I don't know. It, the trailer looks kind of cool. It does. I mean, yeah. the aesthetic is nice, I got to admit. It kind of looks like Tatooine.
1: It's more mm-hmm. of a Star and Wars. I, I'm all for, so like, side stories, too, like, about, like, the non main characters. I like that stuff, so.
0: And, and bounty hunters are cool. Yeah. I mean, admittedly, it looks kind of cool. Werner Herzog is an actor in it. Uh famed director. I have no idea why he I don't think he's known for acting. It, it's just a weird Disney Plus. Uh <laughs> apparently no one could even stream anything yesterday because so many people were buying it. Wow.
1: So, it's very popular.
2: Nick, are you planning on purchasing Disney Plus?
1: Um although, you know, I I want to, but I don't I don't think I will. It's it's not really worth it to me. I'll probably just you know if I want to watch The Mandalorian, I'll probably just pirate it. I, I, I'm planning <laughs> you just, on pirating it as well. Yeah. How would you free guys, trial? Wait for all the episodes to come out. Free trial.
0: Pounce on it. Uh, but you know that's a, that's good. a good idea. How and
2: do you guys think Disney Plus is going to be able to compete with a Netflix or a Hulu? Because I think that although they reach out to a lot of things, they're not going to be able to. I'm. The reason I'm not purchasing it is because I fear that they're not going to be able to create, like, a network of media which is as complete as what Netflix has created.
0: Uh, the thing I think that they have a huge... Well, they have an upper hand because people love Star Wars. Yeah. They love Marvel. And
2: Marvel, I believe, is coming out with a show on Disney+, Plus, which is vital right. to the Marvel storyline.
0: TV shows are going to be the new way... That Disney+, Plus is going to bring everyone in... Uh, The Marvel Cinematic Universe and Star Wars Cinematic Universes are going to be using these TV shows and making them matter because Disney makes a ton of money off of that. Uh, And, you know, it it makes sense. TV is huge, uh, especially streaming TV. These are characters that people love to see, and so they're going to invest a lot of money into creating these shows. People loved Flash. Uh, They loved all these other Marvel shows. Most of Flash. (laughs) <laughs> Most of Flash. yeah, I actually enjoyed the first season of Flash. Then it really went yeah. downhill. Time, don't introduce time travel, just yeah, please. Was, was and, kinda... and Marvel does not learn this lesson. As in Endgame, they they bring out the Hulk, who turns to me and tries to tell me that I've been wrong about time travel <laughs> my entire life. With he he gave the worst explanation. He just said a bunch of words, and then I'm supposed to believe that time travel just doesn't violate all the rules of plot. <laughs> so Marvel Marvel, they won't get away from time travel. They're now trying to change the rules. And they got away with it. Um, yeah, I think I think Disney Plus will compete, and I think the streaming wars are are going to be interesting because I don't know that there's going to be a winner. I think people are just going to buy all of them. Yeah, that's it- what I
1: was about to say. Like, the reason Disney Plus is com- going to be able to compete is like they have such a large audience. Like everything they're like putting out there, like National Geographic, Marvel, and like Star Wars. Like, there's so many people who like watch that stuff. So regardless of if, if those people are already like purchasing Netflix Hulu all that they're still gonna buy this because they want to be up to date on those because those are like big topics
2: I have Netflix Hulu and HBO and feel nothing about having three services that I, I s- primarily stream HBO I don't watch it and I feel absolutely nothing about having three streaming services so I, I really I agree with you I don't see why adding a third would be that big of a detriment do you what do you think this is gonna um, what effect do you think this is going to have on prices? Do you think it's going to drive them down or do you think they might actually rise?
1: No, I think prices is going to remain relatively steady. Yeah, I feel um, like it's kind of like in perfect competition right now in a sense. Like they, they can't really like raise a price and if they lower it, it's not really going to help them. So like Oh, not at all yeah. because yes. people,
0: well, so I will say we are speaking from a situation where we're probably more privileged than other people. We can kind of just have a bunch of streaming services uh, give yep. these rechar- recurring charges on credit cards, and we don't notice it. For other people, prices would definitely have more of an impact on their decisions. But overall, I don't think people are keeping close note of the prices of each respective streaming services and making calculated decisions. Oh, you know what? I'm going to buy Netflix because it's a little bit cheaper than HBO. Mm-hmm. I don't think that calculation is
2: happening and anymore. And if people are buying, um, if people are buying Disney Plus in addition to Netflix, regardless, just because they're a big enough fan of Star Wars or Marvel or whatever. I think there's something to be said that Disney Plus then can make the price to an extent as high as they really want if they already have that consumer base that's dedicated enough to get there. And I think it's been proven that they are dedicated enough to get there. Which oh,
0: and, and you know, they also have sports. I believe they still own ESPN. And I, ESPN, interesting. Yeah, you know, oh, Peyton Manning has his show where he breaks down the NFL. I'd want to watch that. So if you say, yeah. here, you want to watch these Star Wars shows but you're not compelled enough, I'm going to throw in some extra ESPN content. Now sports fans want Disney+. Plus. All of Pixar. Wow. I mean, really,
1: the pro- it's just proof of a monopoly is what it is. They, the they're basically they just so like the power. Big Ten of the streaming service. Like, they got all, like, the big boys. Yeah. You
0: know? <laughs> and, well, yeah, and I wonder who owns Big Ten Network. College football could yeah. get involved in the streaming. Everything is up for grabs. The streaming wars are going to be super interesting. Everyone's seizing stuff. I mean, all these networks are pulling their shows off Netflix. So what's going to happen to Netflix? They're doing great original content right now, like The Irishman, which we're going to talk about later in film. But Netflix is losing a lot of CBS shows, Fox shows, because those those companies want to move to the new age, and they're creating their own streaming
2: services. And this has been what's been happening for years now. Hulu has been sweeping up a lot of them. I believe HBO just acquired Cartoon Network and Adult Swim, which is a big acquisition, regular show now on HBO. It's going to absolutely...
0: Well, there you go. Everyone in the world will have to buy HBO now.
2: (laughs) I think maybe they're going to have a little bit of a Disney Plus effect. People are just going to want to watch regular show no matter what, and they will pay whatever price is necessary.
0: I mean, how could I not watch Garrett Bobby Ferguson get kicked in the chin and then explode (laughs) into (laughs) 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 guts? I mean, that's one of the greatest balls jokes of all time. (laughs) So we're going to move on here with some news that got me really excited. Paul Thomas Anderson is working on a new film, a high school film set in the 70s. Now, we don't have enough information to actually have an interesting conversation about this, so instead, let's propose different actors that could star as the high school lead. So I'd like to start. uh, I think we should take Daniel Day-Lewis, CGI de-age him to a 19-year-old. And throw him in the movie. He could just
2: be on his phone for 18 hours a day to method act. And I think he'd probably, by the end of his method acting experience, be able to portray a... All
0: right, yeah. Uh, as a high schooler, how do you think Daniel Day-Lewis should method act to properly get ready... Oh, wait, no. This is the 1970s. He would have to kill several brain cells. This is the 1970s. But let's suppose that you're making a movie about 2019 high school life. How are you method acting that?
2: I mean, how would you propose killing those brain cells? I mean, you could just there There's got to be something we can think of between the three of us. Just just NCAA,
0: NCAA 14, for me at least. If I was going to method act my own life, just sit in the basement and make, like, six different unique quarterbacks <laughs> and just take them on the most random college football journeys, that's how you really get into my my, my headspace.
2: You can get him to sit through, like, a collective six hours of Nutria assemblies, and I think, like, the pain— and anger that this generation displays will be like like put into him in such
0: a perfect. We got to we got to put him in a language class where he doesn't know the language but he can still get an A. That's the really that's the authentic newtrio experience, I think. That's like every class dude. Do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like don't know any of the material still getting still still getting an A. <laughs> and and really what he's learning through the method acting process is how to circumvent the actual process of studying. And that'll really carry over in the performance, I think. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know. Who, who's going to be in this movie? Like, Timothy Chalamet? Or is that is that too mainstream? I I mean, Lucas Hedges. I don't know what who that guy's agent is, but he in shows up everything. in every single Oscar 100% movie. A hundred percent of things. It has to be Lucas Hedges. Could it be anyone else? It's got to be Lucas Hedges. He's just, like, the only
2: teenage actor. Unless he's old now. He, I think he was, like, 21 when Manchester by the Sea came out already.
0: I don't know who... I mean, we got CGI... Okay, so on the topic of CGI, this is the weirdest story I've read in a long time. The headline reads, James Dean, who, by the way, died in 1955, to be recreated via CGI for Vietnam War drama Finding Jack. So, if you're following, James Dean will be starring in a movie in a CGI version of himself. So these filmmakers got the rights from his family to recreate his like what he would look like now in CGI form and then have him star in the movie. I I, I just don't
1: <laughs> I feel like it's almost like the whole like Carrie Fisher thing. You remember how they did that one scene? Of course. Yeah. So like for an entire movie that that seems absurd to me. Um, like, it it can be done, but, like, how are they going to... I just feel like it'll be too noticeable and it'll just distract me and at that point it's not worth it.
0: Well, just, it sounds like the creepiest thing. I mean, the idea that you could make a movie revolving around someone that doesn't exist (laughs) and yet looks like they exist will probably just freak people out, first of all.
2: You know, the most troubling part to me at first was the fact that his family... James Dean's family did specifically sell his the rights to make a hologram of him. But as I thought more about it, if I die, my family has free reigns. I want them to get as much money as they <laughs> possibly can off of my hologram. So we're just going to make a CGI Solomon Podorovsky biopic? I think the demand for that would be out of this world. It's like, what,
0: I don't know, are they using deepfake technology? I mean, first of all, just concerning... The idea that you can do this? No,
2: deepfake is something else. Deepfake would be like if there was an actor playing him, and and then they they put his face. on? Yeah, they essentially just put his face. To my understanding, this is like a complete full full CGI. Yeah, Yeah.
0: actually, deepfake makes more sense for this movie. You'd think that'd be easier, right? Well,
2: how are the actors around him gonna
0: act? It's kind of like I I read
2: an article, and it was because they didn't think that anybody could play him. So I think they might still believe that no one can play the character besides James Dean, and that includes, like, the movements of the character. But do they really think that a CGI version of, like, a body could capture um, the movements of a human more than just a human could? Who
0: has been dead for more than 60 years? I mean... In fairness, I will definitely be seeing the movie because (laughs) I need to see how this works. So congratulations to whoever's making this thing. You've got my money because this is the weirdest science experiment. <laughs> this is the stuff you talk about in like seventh grade, like deep discussions. Yeah. I just never thought that we would actually see a movie with full body CGI. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, and actually I think Princess Leia might be returning for episode nine. So really? maybe we'll okay. get a taste of that as the movie slowly move towards this weird full body CGI thing. Very odd. Um, While we're at it, I think we can... That's a nice little segue into our review of The Irishman, which used a lot of CGI technology, which a classical filmmaker like Martin Scorsese would usually be opposed to, to reverse age Robert De Niro about 30 years so that the movie could flash back to the past and then go all the way to the present um, and jump around time. So... I guess I'll ask you, Solomon, what were your thoughts on the use of the technology? Did it work? Was it convincing? Uh, Just thoughts in general.
2: I was very impressed by the quality of the CGI. I thought it did a good job making him look young. The thing is, it can make Robert De Niro look young, but it can't make him obviously young. So he still cannot play, in my opinion, like the he can't capture the energy and, like, youth of someone the age that he was supposed to be playing, which was, like, what, early 30s?
0: Yeah, 30s, mid-40s.
2: Um, And so for that reason, as I was watching it, um, before we kind of got to the part of the movie where De Niro was older, I was very disappointed in the performance he was giving. It wasn't until he was playing his older self when I realized, no, De Niro himself is still extremely talented and is actually portraying this character in the perfect way. He just physically, like, isn't young enough to portray him, like, in his younger self. And I don't see how he could be expected to do so.
0: Yeah, I mean, overall, I thought, as an ensemble, the cast was fantastic. The performances were great, and that's, you know, indicative of both. Great casting choices, a superpower cast, and great direction uh, by Marty, as some call him. Uh, I was actually, Martin O'Connell was supposed to be our guest today, and so I was going to appreciate having an Irish Martin in the building for our review of The Irishman.
1: I think I have an eighth in there somewhere. (laughs) You're an eighth Irish? Yeah, (laughs) somewhere. All right. definitely on that's, my mom's that's good. side. Good the, enough. The, the
0: one-eighth Irishman <laughs> is with us for our review of the Irishman. Um, yeah, so uh, the cast was great. I, I thought the CGI worked. There was a, a moment it was a little creepy the first time it came on. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I I was a weird. little bit
2: staggered. When it first came on, I thought it was going to be unbearable for the entire movie. Um, I got used to it pretty
0: quickly. We didn't really have that much young Robert De Niro.
2: I think we had a good amount. I guess the movie was so long, so by the end of it you didn't... Uh, it, it blended the CGI into, I think, just makeup and prosthetics, probably, that made him look younger, yeah. and the transition was extremely smooth. So,
0: for those who are less familiar with the premise of the movie, The Irishman is a three-and-a-half-hour gangster epic, following the true story of Frank Sheeran, who was a, a big mobster back in the day, and his relationship with Jimmy Hoffa, who ran a labor union. I think that would be his title. Uh both real people, and the events of the movie are based on a book that was written and later debunked, so not necessarily a true story, maybe partially a true story, and obviously we're not going to get in and spoil the plot details because you got to go see this movie for yourself. Um,
2: in fact, we will not spoil it, so you you can listen to it and it won't be spoiled for you, but I would encourage our viewers, if they have not seen it, I would pause the episode now, you know, just drop everything, go Run. see it immediately. Spend three and a half hours, just absolutely tank this movie, and then come back
0: and immediately press play on the fourth wall again. Yes, because I know it's hard to wait to get back to our amazing podcast.
2: In reality, I do. I would very much recommend that you wait to see the movie prior to this review. Um, I think it would make for a better experience.
0: But immediate takeaway. The the first thing I thought walking out of the theater was, oh, this is the best movie I've seen in theaters since the year 2016.
2: And I think it's the best current theater movie I have ever seen.
0: Because if you think about it, in our lifetime, we could only really start seeing like rated R movies with our parents 2012 at the earliest. And over that span, we haven't had that much elite content come out. Mm Mm-hmm. This is one of the movies, like this is one of the first outstanding movies I've seen released for the first time in theaters. I've seen a lot of older movies in theaters that are great, like we saw 2001: A Space Odyssey in theaters. I'm not counting that. I'm talking about new movie that came out. And the the great thing actually in my theater experience was I saw a trailer beforehand uh, for Marriage Story, which comes out this next weekend in a limited theater release, also by Netflix. That looks to be great. And we have Uncut Gems, which we talked about in the last episode. That looks to be great. And, and we had Parasite already, The Lighthouse. This has been a great year for movies and a, a really nice turnaround from last year, which was disappointing. But, but back to The Irishman, um, it was not too long. That was my big concern. Is it going to be too long? My grandma, I know she's listening. She thought it was too long. Uh, everyone else I talked to said, oh, maybe it could have been 15 minutes shorter. I'm not complaining about the length. I thought the pacing and the editing of this film were fantastic. Uh, I mean, Martin Scorsese knows what he's doing. And he wanted this movie to be three and a half hours for a reason. It's very well paced. Um, I left the theater thinking if this movie was shorter, the emotional payoff would not have been the same. So do not be detracted by the runtime. It is worth your while. Oh, How would you feel about the
2: runtime? Um, I completely agree. I thought... You know, it could have been shorter. Like, I had to see it yesterday at 7.30, and it kind of just, like, chucked my whole night away. But I think that Scorsese made good use of the time. I thought the first half was a little bit slow, and I obviously you, he, hearing you describe the concept for the movie, it just screams Goodfellas. It's the similarities, and I thought the similarity between De Niro's character and Ray Liotta's character in Goodfellas were pretty apparent, and throughout the first half of the movie, due to that pacing, I was a little bit bored just based on the existence of Goodfellas and based on the fact that I thought I'd kind of seen this movie been made before. But as it progressed, I think that I would describe it as like a remand to Goodfellas, where Scorsese now, with more wisdom, was able to look back at it and say, this is how I think it actually should have ended now that was my kind of takeaway from what i thought he was trying to accomplish yeah it's
0: definitely not a movie that is breaking new ground other than the cgi technology i mean we've we've had a lot of gangster epics in the past he didn't open any new doors and explore themes that had never occurred to me um you know it kind of reminiscent like almost a mix of goodfellas and godfather part two but at the same time i really enjoyed it i thought he did a great job and I thought the themes of this movie were more impactful than some of his past gangster films like Goodfellas or Casino. My, my first thoughts when I saw the premise of the movie just coming out and being in development was, oh, Joe Pesci, Robert De Niro in a Scorsese gangster movie. Like, should I even be excited for this? I've already watched it. Mm-hmm. But this, I, I think it was,
2: I, it did distinguish itself, and I thought it was uh, arguably better. It, I... Th- I mean, I'm hesitant to say, because Goodfellas is one of my favorite movies, I'm hesitant to say it was better just after seeing it one day ago. What I will say is I felt like it was such a personal movie for Scorsese, and by the end of the movie I felt like every scene was just him talking directly to the audience, and in one scene in particular I just felt exactly like what he was feeling to such an extent And the scene was kind of rooted in a lack of dialogue. And I think that given Scorsese's implementation of his own fears and his own worries into it, um, it added a dimension that I didn't really see in Goodfellas.
0: The the main, I mean, just watching the movie, it's very apparent that Martin Scorsese still remains as one of the best filmmakers alive and working today, arguably the best. And the, the main reason I say that, outside of the great performances he was able to get out of already great actors who, who did a great job in their own right, uh, let alone his direction that I'm sure elevated those performances, was a lot of directors have a vision and they try to execute it and you kind of see what they were going for and then it falls flat a little bit or it just misses here and there. He's kind of at the point where he, he's done so much and he's so good that he gets it exactly how he wants it to be. And I think one nice thing about this movie is this is exactly what he wanted. And he was afforded the chance to make a movie exactly how he wanted because Netflix handed him a blank check uh, effectively as
2: they're known to do. And
0: said, "Make this movie. We're not going to over we're not going to supervise you. Just do your thing. We trust you." And I mean, there's a reason that this movie is so great. It was made in an environment that gave Martin Scorsese full creative control and we're going to see that with Marriage Story that's coming out this week with great reviews and future Netflix movies and it's a reason that a lot of filmmakers are going to Netflix. And so at least to me this this movie not only is it great but it provides evidence for the the idea that that giving these great creative filmmakers handing them the keys and saying do your thing is a far better way Uh, than just micromanaging them. And this movie's doing well in theaters. Um, The matinee I was at, 10.45 a.m. in the morning, sold out in a pretty big theater. So he's selling tickets. Mm -hmm. It's not as though no one's going to go see this movie. Uh, Just an overall great job by Martin Scorsese.
2: Let's go more in depth into the performances given by Scorsese and by the actors. I thought that Al Pacino in particular stood out to me as... Uh, performance that I was mesmerized by. I was astounded by the quality in which he portrayed uh, Jimmy Hoffa, I believe. And I thought that his acting allowed for the themes of the movie to work in the way that Scorsese intended them to. And I think without it, and additionally, without the acting of, uh, of De Niro's third daughter who was Anna Paquin? Yes, who whose character befriended Hoffa, I don't think that the themes of the movie would have worked and I think it would have to me uh kind of floundered without that rooted in there and I think in the awards process Pacino particularly will be given a lot of recognition for that. I agree with you that Scorsese will probably Receive his fair share of recognition in terms of nominations and awards. Hopefully, who else did you see that stood out to you?
0: I thought Joe Pesci had a great performance, and one thing I liked about him was he was very reserved. A hundred percent. Very, I mean, kind of different from his usual roles in these types of movies. Um, I, I felt like he did a good job of saying things without words, uh, which is a big thing you look for in a performance. Just because. Uh, and especially De Niro, I mean, De Niro and Pesci actually don't talk that much. Usually you think of gangster movie, you think of brash, you know, people, uh, you just yap, yap, yap. You think
2: exactly of Pesci's character in Goodfellas, the the, whole, what am I, a funny guy, that entire riff. Right,
0: we get the older, more mature, the complete opposite. These two guys are very reserved and they speak a lot with their facial expressions and their eyes and, I mean, they're both communicating a lot of sadness. It's a very sad movie. It, I thought, I mean, I really thought they they all just did a great job. I mean, not everyone can be recognized, and the Oscars at the end of the day just don't matter. They all brought what they needed to bring to that movie, and they fulfilled their roles perfectly.
2: I think each character played their piece in the puzzle well, and I think the fact that they were reserved allowed for Scorsese to tell a story that couldn't have been told in dialogue.
0: So, unfortunately, we have to start wrapping up our show. Uh, Thank you for listening to The Fourth Wall. If you have not seen The Irishman, go check it out. It's worth your while. It'll be hitting Netflix on November 27th. Yes, you probably already invested in Netflix. You don't want to go pay for the tickets. Go see it on the big screen. That's where it should be seen. That's where Martin Scorsese wants you to see it, and that's where you're going to enjoy it the most. So if you have the chance, go check it out. Uh, Just go Google it. It's not available at every theater, but it should be available at a theater near you. Uh, we're gonna be back next week on Wednesday. Uh, Michael should be back in the studio, hopefully talking about Marriage Story. So if you want to prepare for our episode, go check out Marriage Story by Noah Baumbach. Should be a great film as well. But we'll be talking about it next week. Uh, Solomon, Nick, and well, first of all, Nick, thank you for coming on last yeah, thank minute, you for having me, playing yeah. the role. You said some very interesting stuff. Hopefully we can bring you back as a musician. You can play Charlie yeah, Brown on the cool. keys.
2: It's all about Charlie Brown.
0: All about Charlie Brown. Uh, I mean,
2: yeah, that's all I got, Solomon. Hopefully it gets warmer. It's really cold <laughs> it's here. My ridiculous. cul-de-sac, driving around it, if you don't know me personally, which I'm assuming you do, my cul-de-sac was absolutely covered in ice, oh, wow. and it was like driving bumper cars this morning, trying to get out of it.
0: The wind was also piercingly cold. Piercingly
1: cold. Record lows for November year it's like a couple days ago it's like the look like the coldest it's been in november for like five years
2: you know it feels like all of these like climate type records are being set and you know there's got to be something behind it but i c- can't quite say
0: yeah i don't know maybe we should trust the scientists on that one why nah. why would you tr- <laughs> i
2: i why would you trust this why science? would
0: you trust scientists who've devoted their entire life to the field yeah uh i, th- I think climate denial might I need a whole new podcast for that to just
2: address people that deny I'd, science. I right. don't think that climate exists. I'm a climate There is, there
0: is no climate and there is no ozone. Thank <laughs> you for listening to The Fourth <laughs> Wall. We appreciate you listening. Uh, you, you can. We don't have a Patreon or any of those things that people normally donate to, but if you see me in the hallway or you just see me at a family event, just <laughs> hand me a $5 bill. I promise you it will go towards this show and the movie tickets uh, so that we can review more movies for you. Thank you for listening been a great time. I'm Jack Yanover. I'm
2: Solomon Podorowski. I'm Nick
1: Fabbitt.
0: And we will see you next week.